Introducing Misha Tate. When that fire went out, Misha's in big trouble. Oh, she heard her! Misha, let's go! Oh, that's it! I was like, yeah, I'm finally broken. I'm not showing up anymore in here. I don't care enough. But four years later, so much has changed. So you're fighting again? Yeah. What makes you want to fight again? My family, time, and dreams. She is very sound to get back to competition. But she hasn't been in that fight scenario in almost five years. I feel like I'm more dangerous than ever. That's it, just like that. I'm upgrading. My whole mantra is Misha Tate 2.0. Well, it is fight week for the former UFC and Strikeforce Bantamweight queen, Misha Tate, kind enough to give us a few moments here live on Extra Rounds on UFC Fight Pass. Uh, not only do you have a fight coming up on Saturday, but on Friday, we can see the debut of the one-hour feature-length documentary, Misha Tate 2.0. And this interview started in the same way this documentary starts, with uh, that wall of success, the accomplishments in the background, Misha. What was it like doing this uh, documentary? And, you know, while you're still you know, very much an active uh, fighter in mixed martial arts, kind of having a, a retrospective look back on your, your past and your career. Oh, it's interesting. You know, those bumps in the road, those little speed bumps, they, they seem like mountains when you're, you're hitting them in that time. But when you look back, you realize that they were just, you know, they just slowed you down for a second. And now uh, I've rebounded beautifully. I think I've learned a lot about myself. I'm not somebody who's so tied to an outcome anymore. You know, I'm very secure in who I am, you know, win, lose, draw. And I think that makes me really dangerous because for me, this is more about the journey. Of course, I have goals. I want to become a world champion again. You know, I don't take this lightly and particularly because I do have two little kids. You know, I'm not going to just take a punch to give a punch anymore. I'm going to make people miss and pay. That is the new perspective. That is the evolution of Tate 2.0. Um, I'm better than that. I'm better than what I, how I used to treat myself. I used to treat myself in fights the way that I viewed myself, that I had to take them on the chin that I had to take the beating and just somehow get through the adversity. And now I'm like, what if I never needed any of that? What if I could have just been fighting just the woman across the way instead of myself and everything else and the woman across the, the octagon, you know? So I'm just in a much different place. I'm much more confident. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the journey because not everybody gets a second chance. You know, I'm, I'm very blessed and I'm so grateful to have everything that completes me outside the octagon yet still be young enough to go back in and give this a second run. You know, it's interesting because it's called Misha Tate 2.0, but I feel like you're almost on the third or fourth incarnation of who you are because you've grown up it's in the sport. <laughs> you know, I mean, from hook and shoot to strike force to the Ronda Rousey rivalry in the UFC coming up short against Ronda coming back and, and winning a title. And, you know, the, the adversity didn't stop there. And you're still propelling yourself and moving forward. And, you know, that, that's one thing, too. You know, as a mother, as you mentioned, like, do you, do you feel like you're a role model for your kids yet? I mean, have they have you, you know, pr proceeded with your career with them in mind from, you know, an example that you're you know leading by uh, point? of you? 
I hope so. I, I would love nothing more than to be a good role model for my kids. I think as any parent's desire would be, you know, to lead not through words, but through action. I hope that my children can look at me and um, granted, you know, they'll still be probably fairly young when I retire. So who knows what they'll actually remember. My son is only one now. My daughter's only three. You know, I, I planned on doing this for a couple of years and kind of see where it goes. Um, I'm not putting like a time limit on myself, but at the same time, you know, there's definitely going to come a point where it's like, okay, I've got my fill of this. This is what I came to do and I've accomplished it and, and moving on to the next chapter of my life, you know, um, and that's okay, you know, so hopefully they just realize that um, what I want them to take away from this is that they can do whatever they want to do and that there is no one else that needs to set limitations. That's just my message to everybody broadcasted around the world because I hear still the critics, the critics, you know, so many people were quick, quick to doubt me in my comeback fight. Like I was barely, I was about almost even with Marion Renault going into that fight as far as betting odds. And nobody was like sure picking me. That was for sure. Cause nobody knew what the heck to expect. It was a coin flip in most people's minds. We're not really sure whether she's going to win or lose. But I dominated the fight and finished a woman who had never been finished. But then instead of people like giving the credit, right, you hear, oh, but, oh, but this, oh, but that, you know, well, that's fine. I'm so used to that. And really the only person I have to answer to at the end of the day is me. So I'm very happy. Um, I don't mind the critics at all. Doesn't bother me a bit, but I do expect some apologies after this fight. I like it. I, I mean, you know, fight, fighting with a chip on your shoulder a little bit. And, and that is one thing, too, that I thought was really cool about this documentary is you go into some sort of, you know, really sort of sensitive issues and in, in, in areas where, you know, looking back on retrospectively, I mean, you're, you're in a good spot now, but it, it had to be, you know, painful a little bit. And one thing that I sort of took away from looking at it was, you know, I, I've covered mixed martial arts y your entire career, but I think as, you know, media heads and, and, and fans fans alike, we sort of detach the athlete from the person and, right. you know, all of your stumbles uh, that, that you've had personally, professionally, et cetera, has been very much public, whether or, or not you like that. It's just, it's in the right. public spotlight. W was it hard to sort of bear all in this documentary or, or was it maybe liberating to a point because we kind of got to hear your side of the story on things for the first time? Well, let me just be honest is that I still haven't bared all to be honest. There, there's still some things that I don't know how to address publicly. I don't know how to be, um, to go into that, uh, depth of, of honesty, but, um, I've done my very best to be transparent to the point where I feel like is, uh, at least explaining, um, where I was going, where I was coming from. So I've done my best to be honest, but you know, there are still parts of that, right. That I was, it was, I was, working so hard to cover it up at the time to like not let anybody see that. And you're right. There still was things in the public eye that were out there. And I tried to mostly keep it at bay and not really let people understand, but it has felt really good to open up about the things that I was ready to open up about, you know, to, um, to see that, you know, the unfortunate part though, is that I still think that people aren't ready to like a lot of people don't recognize, um, you know, victimization, I suppose that you could say, you know, sometimes I feel like when I've talked about things and my, my perspective, it's just like, they don't get it, you know, that they are, they're not, maybe they haven't been, maybe it's because a lot of uh, 
my audiences, you know, are males and they haven't been in the situation where, you know, you're, you're the female and you have somebody who gets to be the boss of you all the time. You know, I think men tend to try to be the boss in the relationships typically. Um, but then you have somebody who is your coach, you know, and when you have someone, just imagine if your significant other was also your boss at work, just right. like for a second, think about that. If they always got to rule whatever you did for that eight hours of the day, and then take that into a fight life where it's actually 24 hours of the day and just how challenging that might be. Just think about it for a second. I mean, and, and then, you know, you get with someone who uh, at the time was just, um, it was just, yeah, it wasn't good. I don't know exactly. I'll probably go down a rabbit hole, but it was, it was very detrimental. There was definitely, you know, abusive situations that happen. And, um, it took a lot for me. It really did. And, and, and I, I gotta give myself a pat on the back. Cause I know that I was really strong to even get to that point, but everyone has a breaking point, you know, being mentally tough. When people look back at the first chapter of my career, I think one of the biggest takeaways was my toughness, right? Oh my God, she's so tough. Well, I mean, why that didn't just like manifest itself. It's because I'm practicing the mental toughness every single day of my life. Right. And that's what carried me in fights. And now it's like, yeah, I know I still have that because it's the core of who I am. When I need to be tough, I can be tough, but I don't have to exhaust myself. You, you know, dipping into that. Now I get to focus on being the best, not just being tough. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to stoke the uh, Tate-Rousey rivalry, but, you know, someone like Ronda Rousey who had, you know, significant success in, in mixed martial arts and got the, the better of you on multiple occasions was not able to stumble and fall and, and rise back to prominence. And, and you're very much doing that. And that, I think that is something that really speaks a lot about what champions are made of. It's not necessarily rising to the, you know, the summit of the mountain uh, from jump. It's it's about getting there and, and facing adversity and maybe coming up short but having the ability to weather that storm and get back there and, and, and at least you know even make an effort and, and stay positive and that's one thing that I, I really took away from watching this film Misha and I hope uh, you know fans uh, of yours or even maybe not the biggest fans of yours will at least look at this and sort of put the, themselves in your shoes because at the end of the day you, you've already hit on it you know being a, a top shelf women's mixed martial artist it's a it's an interesting unique story at its core, you know, not many women are willing right. to sign up and fight, but to also have success and, and have, you know, uh, departures from success where you fall on hard times, but whether at all and continue to have a positive outlook on things. I mean, that's inspiring whether or not you're a mixed martial arts fan or, or not. I hope it's a relatable human story, you know, because I think sometimes we get caught up in seeing, uh, people that we idolize for different reasons, or maybe there's something that you idolize. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that everybody idolizes me, but I think that even if you look at me superficially and you just say like, what are a couple takeaways, a casual fan? Oh, you know, Misha Tate, she's tough. You know, she's this, I feel like I hear that a lot. Um, so she's tough. I just want people to know that even if even the toughest people have, uh, hardships we right. go through we go through hard times we hit breaking points we hit rock bottom or i certainly did and um you know nobody's story is perfect and so uh being able to come back from that you know having some resilience i think is where um my story gets the most interesting is is that ability to adapt and overcome 
And that's what I had to do because I wouldn't be here right now if I didn't do a lot of that soul searching, if I didn't take the time to recover, so to speak. Because uh, at that time, you know, when I retired, I was definitely at a very low point in my life. I was, you know, struggling with depression. I was um, very broken inside. I hardly remember the fight week, you know, the magnitude of fighting at Madison Square Garden. All of that was just beyond me because I was so broken at that time. And I thought the only way to fix it was to fight again, because that had always been the answer before fight right. and win, because if you win, you're a winner. And that's just no longer the way that I see life. There's so much more value I have now. So, you know, honestly, I just hope it's a relatable story to people, people in general, because uh, life can deal us some pretty shitty cards sometimes. But, <laughs> you know, if we can sort through it and, and make ourselves better for it, then I think we're winning in the end. No, 100 percent. And I think that was one thing that really uh, sort of rang true in, in this film is your decision to walk away when you did and then come back. You seem much better for it, not just as an athlete, but you know, as a human being. And at the end of the day, that's what mixed martial arts and sports, I think, really is. And the good stories are is you're reminded that despite, uh, you know, tremendous world class ability at the end of the day, it's human beings that are out there and and giving it their all. And I think the, the human being, uh, Misha Tate, comes through, not just uh, the athlete uh, in this documentary. I'm, I'm curious. I, I talked about the wall. Um, when you were going through the first stage of your career, were you one to celebrate your accomplishments, Misha, because uh, I feel like a lot of people very rarely, you know, look back and, and you know, make sort of a, a mural of success and, and sort of, you know, you're always so hungry pushing for the next thing. Were you someone that ever, you know, stopped to smell the roses and, and be proud of yourself? I thought I did, but I didn't have the scope and depth of perspective that I have now. So I tried to, but again, when you're always looking for the next win, when you're, you're always only as good as your last win, and you got to remember that MMA memory, you know, the fans and everybody in media is basically one week at a time, Seriously. you know, in a nutshell, it's, it's every weekend there's a new fight and then the other fight card just kind of disappears and fades out of people's mind. So it's like, you're just always on that chase. Like, yeah, I know I did that, but I'm already like, people are forgetting, or I've got to do more. I've got, you know, and it just... I don't know. And when you talk about the mural of success, you know, I'm not actually somebody to hang my belts proudly. I know it probably seems like, oh, that's right there. You know, <laughs> I'm looking at it right Our now. Center. I know. But actually, you know, this is the difference that I'm telling you. So this is my partner, Johnny, who made this wall for me because um, this is what I wake up to every morning. So this is the wall on my side of the bed. And I left town uh, to let him study for his EMT courses. He's on his way to becoming a fireman. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna take the kids out of here. This was between my last camps. And I said, we're gonna take them out to Washington. And I just gonna let you have a few days. So he took part of that time and just made this beautiful mural of a wall. And I came home and my jaw hit the floor and he just said to me, I want you to know you did that. And this wow. is what you're capable of. And it blew my mind. Um, so there's a lot of very memorable moments on this wall for me. Um, and it's just really cool that I get to see that I am my own goals and inspiration. You know, it used to be other people that I would hang pictures of on the wall and things like that. And now it's like, man, I'm just, it's me. Like, it's just me. I'm just having fun here. I'm enjoying my life. I'm in such a good place. It's a much different relationship and perspective and family and all the whole dynamic outside of fighting is polar opposite. And, um, 
I think you guys will see that reflected. You'll continue to see it reflected. We'll, we'll, we'll continue the saga on Saturday. Well, you're still adding to uh, to that wall as well, and and that's I mean that's awesome to hear that that Johnny did that for you. You, yeah. you I mean that that's a, that's a real partner there, and in, in more than uh, one way. You know, I, I'm curious when when you walked away from active competition, you still very much stayed in, involved with MMA. You know, doing various uh, things from being an analyst to uh, working for one in the front office and, and things like that. What sort of perspective did that give for you know you on on just the sport as a whole, and then also on the second journey as an athlete did, did it change the way that you handle yourself and, and approach your career today oh of course i think we gain perspectives in each situation that we put ourselves in and especially if you happen to pack up with a nine month old baby and a and a fiance and move halfway across the world to singapore and transplant yourself and then a pandemic hits and you really learn a lot about yourself and about life and about what's important and i think that's a big part of the reason why i'm here today was um, due to that change in circumstance, being away from family and friends, being isolated, reassessing, um, having my son, my second baby over there in Singapore, and then the pandemic, right, MMA was kind of stripped from us, all live sports were for a while. And I'm so grateful that that happened in a weird way, as odd and, and kind of depressing as it was. And I know it was hard for a lot of people, right? I mean, we, we all kind of went through our hardships, I think, with this pandemic as we continue to. Right. But for me, the the silver lining, and I always try to remember that there's always a silver lining to every situation and scenario, even if you can't see it at the time, was that it 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 uh, kind of forced me to slow down and observe and say ask myself the questions: What I really want out of life in that moment, and that's when fighting kind of came flying to the forefront of my brain, and I made the decision that I was going to fight again. Well, you were a Hall of Famer before walking away from the sport, and uh, I think you're still very much adding to that Hall of Fame uh, career in, in my eyes uh, with this return. Let's talk about your uh, opponent coming up on Saturday night, Ketlin Vieira. Um, you know, very tough fighter, uh, has only lost twice in her career, top-ranked uh, athlete here in, in the UFC. Now, the second fight back after the Renault fight, uh, it, what's it like? Does it feel the same as the, the comeback, or are you, like, right back to where you were when you were, you know, fighting? you know a couple times a year i'm not back to where i was in any way because i'm on a whole new journey you know right. there is no back so for me um this is the, this is the second opportunity and it's much different than the first time around but what i'll say about the difference between this fight and my comeback fight is that you know i was 1709 days removed since my last time competing I had two children and you know, I think I arguably came back looking better. Oh, no, no, I surely came back looking better than I did in my last two fights before right. I left. So I know there's still questions that people want answered. And the only way I can do that is by gloving up on Saturday. And Ketlin is the woman, uh, she's the perfect proper progression. You know, she's ranked one spot above me. She's number seven right now. She was on the verge of becoming a contender. She's a black belt in judo. She's a black belt in jujitsu and she can strike it too. So she's very well-rounded. She's also new blood in the UFC. She was not there when I retired. So she's on her comeuppance, but I am not new to uh, sending people back down the rankings. You know, it's, it's what I like to do. I've had to take out many future contenders uh, before and I'll continue to do it. You know, and, and mind you that, I think being a refreshed and reinvigorated veteran 
is the, the most dangerous place that I could be in for other women. I mean, it's gotta be scary if I was thinking about facing me, right? We always get so obsessed with like being worried about what the, uh, you know, facing the other person, but I try to put myself in the other person's shoes for a second and look at me and be like, man, that's a tall order. You know, like we don't really know exactly what to expect. She looked pretty good on her last fight. She's more ripped than ever. She says she's in better shape. She's performing like she's in better shape. We still don't know for sure what she's improved on yet. She has all the experience in the world. Like she, she has the experience she can draw and yet she's refreshed. She has a new purpose in life. She's in a better place. Like I mean, I'm fighting, I fought five rounds a handful of times. I won my first strike force title in the fourth round via submission over Marlis Kunin. I won my UFC world title in the fifth round against Holly Holm, who's one of the best conditioned athletes in the, you know, in the world. And my conditioning right now shits on my conditioning before, because there's actually science and stuff that goes into this that I had no <laughs> clue about before. So, I mean, just think about that for a second. This is a lot of pressure on Ketlin Beer. This is a lot of pressure. You know, she has the weight on the, of the world She has on her shoulders. She hasn't figured out yet how to separate her identity from, from being a fighter. Um, she sacrificed a tremendous amount, which I, I really respect. And I kind of sucks that I have to, uh, to beat her up on Saturday because I kind of feel I've been in that position before I, I identify with that, but you know, it's unfortunately not enough reason for me to not go out there and do my job. And, um, you know, she tends to, to fade after the first couple of rounds. So, um, I don't know how anybody looks at this fight and doesn't see me winning, but I don't know. Call me biased. Uh, <laughs> probably biased, am, but little biased. I, I, I'm a little biased. Let's be honest. But I, I also know what I'm capable of and the rest of the world doesn't. So right. again, I'm going to show you guys on Saturday, you will see a, a continued elevation in the Tate 2.0 saga. We will allow your actions to speak louder than words and let you get to it on Saturday. But on the way out here, Misha, I'm, I'm curious because we're talking a lot about, uh, you know, changing in yourself. But I look at the top of the division and, uh, you know, I think the the talent, you know, for example, like Ketlin Vieira, who, who really wasn't on the scene when when you walked away. It is getting better. But at the top, it's still Amanda Nunes. It's Juliana Pena fighting her, who you coached on The Ultimate Fighter. Do you feel that? You have progressed more than the division as a whole. Is it equal? Like, tell me what you think uh, about the division as far as where you left it and where it's at today, as far as, you know, changing and evolving and improving is. I believe I've progressed more than the division as a whole. Um, that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, Amanda is arguably the greatest female of all time, but when her and I fought, we didn't know that Amanda was uh, on the turn of that evolution. We right. didn't really know what to expect or to be forewarned of the things she's so dangerous of. So, um, you know, I can't take anything away from her. Like you have to be prepared for everything. And at the, at that point, you know, I was a champion and she beat me fair and square, but now I know. And I also know that I am so much better and I'm in a much better place. And I think that if I was capable of becoming a champion under those circumstances, I can only imagine in my wildest, craziest dreams and, and figments of those, that, that wild imagination, like what I'm capable of now. And, uh, and it's not just going to be that imagination, you know, it will be something that comes to fruition with time. You know, this is something I visualize. This is something I believe with my whole heart and soul. And, uh, I'm coming for it. I want to be a champion again, but that's long-term goal. Short-term goal is to beat Ketlin on Saturday, make a statement.
Well, on Saturday night, it's going to be fun to watch the next chapter, and I implore everyone to check out Misha Tate 2.0, the documentary Hidden Fight Pass on Friday. Misha, appreciate the time, and uh, allow me to say you've made me a fan not only of your whole career and, and personality, even more so than I was prior to this documentary, but I can't stop singing that Roar song by Katy Perry. Everybody loves it. Get it. You need to go home, roll, roll the windows down on your drive home and just blast it. Just let it go. Cause <laughs> it's definitely some good vibes. Um, but yeah, you guys will be seeing that too on Saturday. You know, I got to stick with my, my song. That's the one that gets my heart going. Well, we'll see uh, the eye of the tiger Saturday night inside yeah. the UFC's octagon. Misha Tate, appreciate the time and best of luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. Chuck Norris, man of action. Chuck Norris stars in Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. Chuck Norris, he's got nerves of steel and strength to match. Chuck Norris with his team, Pepper. It's too dangerous, Chuck. What? Too much. Too much. Kimo the Samurai Warrior. Chuck's Teenage Apprentice, Tabe, a sumo champion. With Chuck Norris, they battle the sinister forces of the Claw. Remember this. And the ruthless Super Ninja. I'll finish Norris! Chuck Norris stars in Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. All right, we're messing around here. It's a show called Extra Rounds on UFC Fight Pass. TJ DeSantis, Ray Longo, Pearl Gonzalez. We're watching the best of the month right now uh, of October. Um, and I'm trying to add Pearl and, and, and Ray right now. And I think it's going to work here in just one tiny little second. Uh, I'm going to press this button and I go like this. Guys, hi. How are you? Where are you? Where am I? Yeah, where are you? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm here. Pearl's like munching on something. Let me press this button so everybody's uh, on camera. Here we go. Hi. Hi. Hello. There he is. What's up, buddy? You know. You can see him. I can't see him. Well, I mean, I I, 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 I don't know, I don't know how to answer that, Pearl. I don't know how I can, I can't see you, but it's okay. Well, I mean, well, you can't see the best of October on UFC Fight Pass that we're looking at right now. Can you see it, Ray? Yes. I can see it a little bit. Okay, that doesn't make any sense, Pearl. You just said you couldn't, and then you said you can, but not really. I, don't... I can't see the little um, the little boxes of us, but I can see the actual fight. I mean, do you really need to see us? I mean, I know I the mean, people I mean, I wanted need to, to really see, see myself. That's the most vain thing I've ever heard in my life. But at least you're honest about it. I mean, hey. She's proud of her looks, TJ. <laughs> I like, I like looking at myself every so often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, let me know what that feels like, because I've never, I've never quite got there Boy. personally. But you know, we can all aspire to uh, to get there. Um, man, I've missed both of you. It's been like forever. Pearl, I haven't talked to you since New York. Ray, we almost got to hang out in New York, but you were doing your thing and and being a good coach. And uh, man, like that that seems like such a long time ago. It was only what two two weeks ago. It's been yeah. forever since I've seen Ray. Yeah. Well, we caught up, though. It was good catching up, though. That's good. Mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah, we're, we've been here for, like, 30 minutes. 
I was just going to really? say. We've been here for an hour. I was just really gonna, made some good choices, too. I was just going to say, Pearl, it's good to see you uh, after being robbed. Uh-huh. Thank yeah, you. Without a doubt, man, there's no – I almost think it was an easy fight to score. It was pretty easy, I thought. I mean, I'm biased, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 100% biased. Yeah. I, always, I always qualify my my opinions, too. Yeah. Pearl, are you still, <laughs> are you still out in New York? No, I'm in um, Chicago. I was supposed to go to Mexico, and then I was supposed to go back to New York because I need to get my passport to go to Mexico. And I've just been sitting here doing nothing, basically. Okay, well, uh, I'm happy that you're uh, safe and home, and uh, we're all together. It's like a family reunion here on Extra Rounds, and uh, we got some things to do. Are we ready to do it here, or do you want to like finish watching the best of October? No, we want to do it. We don't care Let's about it. Let's do it. Just we're do in, it, TJ. We're in November. Forget about October. Okay. We're not looking Be back. like Nike. Just do it. We're just looking oh, forward. All right. Sorry, producers, Steve and Frankie. I don't have a choice. I just, I got to press the damn button because it's the Ray Longo and Pearl Gonzalez show. It's actually called Extra Rounds and it starts right now here on UFC Fight Pass. It was in Southern California. Here's your host, TJ DeSantis. Extra Rounds. It is Extra Rounds here on UFC Fight Pass. TJ DeSantis, Pearl Gonzalez, Ray Longo. Hey, man, I tell you, those those crunches are so loud that they're, they're affecting my hearing at this point. Yeah, what are you eating, Pearl? Like, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I am eating veggie sticks right now. Okay. Uh, they're like chips, but they're supposed to be veggie sticks, so it's kind of healthy. But even though they're like fried or whatever, they're really not healthy. There's no other chips in this house, and this is all I can get my hands on. They're really good. I, the dog loves them. That's what I feed it. <laughs> I swear to God, no, they're good though. But those they last a long. All right. So while you guys were talking, I was actually interviewing Misha Tate, who is uh, one half of our main event coming up on Saturday night. She takes on Ketlin Vieira. Um, You know, this is uh, an interesting fight for a variety of reasons, because Misha Tate came back against Marion Renault and and she looked good, guys. I don't know if I'm ready to say that Misha has returned to vintage form or if the time off was necessarily what she needed to try to, you know, march her way back to a championship. Uh, but she looked good stopping Marion Renault, who had never been stopped previously, and now she's taking on uh, Kellen Vieira coming up on Saturday night. Vieira uh, 11-2 and two in her MMA run. Ray, I will start with you. Uh, get your thoughts on this uh, exciting fight. Um, Kellen Vieira, you know, very much a, a factor here in the Spantamweight division, and Misha Tate, a former champion, trying to get back to uh, the top of the mountain. Your thoughts on uh, the, the second go-around for the return tour of one Misha Tate. Yeah, look, I think this fight will be this fight will be more telling as to where she is, uh, you know, with the layoff and everything and coming back. Uh, so I really got to I got to watch this fight. But, you know, Misha is a cerebral person. And sometimes when you get older, you actually do get better. You understand things. You're less nervous. You're less a lot of things. And I think that might be the case she is. So I think this fight to me is is, is a big fight because you know, Vieira's been tested. She's been in there with great people. She's been more active. So this is a, this is a big fight. This will tell us a lot, I think. But I think Misha is the type of person that she's able, she'll be able to internalize things a lot better now than even like five or six years ago. So what maybe she lost in one area, I believe she'll gain mentally in another area. 
Yeah, I had a chance to talk to Misha about sort of that growth. And I mean, you know, Pearl, you can talk about this. I mean, you've been fighting your entire life, you know, from, you know, when you were young in your 20s and your 30s. It seems that athletes that have a, a, a career that spans more than one decade, just mentally, whether or not that they can, you know, get up to the, the level they're, they're thinking cerebrally, like, like Ray said, but mentally it seems like they're just much more comfortable in their skin. And, and Misha seems to be a, a lot more, you know, comfortable moving forward where she's at in her career now than maybe when she was, you know, fighting on her way to the championship. Yeah, I believe like, you know, Misha for so long was was trying to to prove that she was the best. And I mean, she had some wars. Misha has fought some wars. She is a pioneer in in this sport for for us women. You know, I remember being early on in my amateur career and, and watching her on the professional level. Um, competing and just really was one of those who paved the way for, for even the UFC to have women's, women's fighting. Um, and so she's evolved this entire, entire time, you know, aside from just, she just took a break in 2016 is when she retired. So it's been quite some time, but even before then though, she was growing with the sport to its entirety from when it was not allowed in the UFC, when there was only small shows to, being on the biggest stage and having, you know, some of the biggest fights historically in our sport. And so I think that with that being said, yes, Misha has so much experience. She's always had that. She's always been that fighter that was never overly aggressive. She was just very smart and, and could weather these crazy storms and, and find a way to win. And, um, you know, that was what she did when she won the title. That's how, how she beat. Like, I remember the fight, the one that comes to mind is, um, Julie, Julie Kedzie, you know, and was knocked out, knocked down, knocked out by a kick and then somehow managed to grab an arm bar and arm bar her and finish that fight. And that's just that's been Misha's whole career is just finding a way to thrive through her adversity and her challenges. And she's had some wars. So um, I thought she looked really good in her last performance. I think that physically, if you look at her, her body is better than it's ever been before. She's so focused. I talked to her. She's so focused on her diet, on her strength and conditioning. And like uh, Ray and I were talking about, you know, you the, there comes a point in your career where you have to focus on this. You don't have the athleticism or the youth that you once had. So now it has to be really focused on being an elite athlete and really working on the small things that you didn't have to worry about when you were younger. And so uh, with that being said, I think that, you know, Misha Tate is looked better than ever right now. She looks more matured as a fighter today. And uh, yeah, she's, she's got a big challenge in front of her because Caitlin Vieira is no joke. Yeah, I mean, right. very serious look, woman. Look at and, you. And, yeah, the other thing, too, let me just step in there for a second. Too. And she didn't get totally away from the game either, right? right. So no, she, she did it. You know, she was part of one. So she was always looking at fighters, looking at fights. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, that's a, a, a form of visualization too right so and, and she, she has a radio show as well ray so she's been yeah. breaking down like current events in, in mixed martial arts and and i think that's one thing that is really important i think i think pearl you can speak to this in in your role with extra rounds like it, it's good to think about the sport away from your own personal career and not just be so focused on you know what's in front of you uh as an athlete rather than you know sort of the sport as a whole Absolutely. And yes, you, you do. You draw from that. Like he said, it, it, and as someone that's cerebral like Misha, it, it plays such a huge role in who you are as a fighter because you do get to experience things 
not necessarily through your own fight, but through other fighters and studying the fights and studying the where martial arts is and the you know the involvement, the involvement of it and. <laughs> Evolution, evolution, lady. If I don't say, if I don't say evolution, someone's gonna like yell at us for saying involvement. But you're right; it's a, it's a Pearl Gonzalez uh, original. It's evolvement. Yeah. Okay. And the evolvement of MMA, like you, the sport has grown faster than ever, and especially the last two years. Like, we just had a year where there was a fight almost every weekend. Like, how many of these? I mean, we're talking fights every week. This sport is growing; it's growing faster than it ever has. These fighters. You're seeing them coming in at 17 and 18 that have been training since two, three years old now. Like it's evolved in in so many ways. And so I think that Caitlin is kind of like the next generation after Misha's generation. Um, And she has been training her whole life as well. She's been training since she was 12. She has a black belt in judo. She has a black belt in jujitsu. You see it here. Um, she utilizes her judo so well in MMA. She can the her ability to transition from striking to utilizing her grappling is incredible. And on top of that, she was also on the Brazilian national wrestling team. So this she's a really great grappler. That's Misha's strong suit is grappling. Um, so it's interesting to see how this fight will go. Right. And, you know, we're talking a lot about Misha Tate, but, you know, she's actually the B side of this fight card. Right. It is Vieira versus uh, Tate. And, you know, we should probably just focus on some of the accomplishments of Ketlin Vieira f- for a brief mm-hmm. moment. So, you know, maybe people watching don't necessarily know who she is. She's incredibly talented. Uh, she started her career 10-0. and uh, She's only lost twice in her mixed martial arts campaign. She owns a finishing rate of 54%. Per- percent, and, uh, you know, she's got a, a big opportunity in front of her taking on a former champion and, in my mind, a, a Hall of Famer uh, in Misha Tate. Now, Ray, you've you've helped a lot of fighters throughout their careers, you know, go from prospect to, to champion. This is not the first, uh, you know, proven commodity that Ketlin Vieira ha- has faced inside the UFC. Mm-hmm. But in this championship spotlight, Ray, Ketlin Vieira's got to be feeling that pressure, I think. Uh... Well, you know, you just said she's a, you know, judo player. I mean, she's been there before with that type of stuff. I don't know. Uh, you don't think the main event spotlight against a former champion, you know, pays a, a, a little more in the, in the, or plays a little more in the nerves department? I mean, if she's surrounded by the right people, I think they'll explain to her that, you know, once the door closes, it's, it's the same as it always has been. Has been. So I don't think... I don't think she's going to feel that for some. I'm not, I'm not feeling that right now. So I don't know if she'll... She'll feel it, uh, the magnitude of what you're, you're, you're saying. So, uh, but look, there's something there to that, you know, for 100%. But I think this this is a big test more for Misha than it is for uh, Caitlin at this point. The real test, I guess, is uh, all of our viewers on Twitch trying not to close the window because they're, they're hating the sounds. They're hating the crunches, Pearl. That's just what oh. I'm, t- I'm told, Pearl. They, they're just not liking it. Fine, guys. Jeez. Sorry. Sorry. Um, let's, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about Misha Tate because, Pearl, like you mentioned, she looked good against Marion Renault. She seems to be refreshed, you know, mentally. Um, do you feel like she is at her, you know, vintage form? Is she where she was, you know, when she was at the height of her career? Or does she still have something to prove to you come Saturday? No, you know, you first off, you can never go backwards. And I don't think that she's her old self because she is a new and improved. Very, she's she's had babies. She has a new motivation today. She's married. You know, she's experienced so much in her life in the last six years. 
So as a woman, she has um, improved and evolved and it showcases to me in, in her last fight, like her body looks amazing. She is so focused and dedicated to her training today and, and talks about how she has this newfound motivation with her kids and, and how they motivate her and inspire her every day to, to train hard and focus. And so I think that she's in a lot more stable place in her life now that she's had her babies and she's got her husband and her home um, so that she can focus on fighting and just focus on, focus on fighting the fight, fighting for her career, not fighting to set herself up and make her name. Like she doesn't have to do that anymore. You said it. She's soon to be a hall of famer at, at some point. She's had historical fights. She's been the champion. Like she's her coming back. This is not to prove anything other than just to fulfill her passion. And so I think with that, that's removed a lot of pressure from her. And now she, she can just focus on going to the gym and getting better and improving and, and focusing on the fight. So I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, you know, is she the same? She's not. She, this is, she says it. I think she called, what does she call herself? 2.0? Right. That's the like that. name of the documentary that is uh, dropping uh, tomorrow on Fight Pass, Misha Tate 2.0. Yeah. And so, like, this is a, this is a brand new Misha Tate. And yes, she has her skills and she has her experience from the vintage Misha Tate, but she's also evolved and also, you know, matured as well. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that it's good to try to compare where she was as far as like vintage form is concerned, but you're right, Pearl, like you, she's not the same. Like she can't right. be the same. No one is the same. I mean, a anybody, you know, whether you're an athlete or not, you're going to be different mentally, you know, five years, you know, removed from when you walked away from the sport. And Ray, I'm curious if, if she does get back to that vintage form or, or does realize maybe another title opportunity, how much are we going to look back and, and look at this layoff as maybe the reason Misha was able to get back there. You know what I mean? If she's able to get back there, then we, we can absolutely conclude that that layoff was, was great for her. Uh, and it gave her the right rest uh, for her body to bounce back like that. And it was like a mental refresher also. I mean, the, the key to me now is going to be when it gets really tough in there, she starts getting banged around a little bit, you know, where her head's at at that point. Because, you know, the older you get, you know, you might start thinking, hey, look, my health comes first, right? right? You start, you get older, you start thinking differently. You Listen, how old is she now? Uh, 35. 35, yep. 35. That's a, that mentality is totally different than 25 when you don't see anything happening to you. You're getting older. She does have a family. That could work in her favor because it could motivate her, but it also could work against her because if she starts getting banged around, she wants to be there for that family, you know what I mean? And she wants to be there in the right way. So that's another thing I'm looking at Saturday is how, how she'll be able to navigate that. If it starts getting a little tough, does she dig down deep or, you know, does she, you know, you know, kind of throw in the towel almost, you know? So I think it'll be, it, it's interesting, you yeah. know, because like, again, you do get more cerebral, right? The older you get, death starts looking you in the face. And not that she's at that point. But, you know, people around you start having problems more. You start hearing it. Right. It becomes reality. When you're 20, you're not hearing anything. No, you're Everybody, mute to everything. All right, you could do anything. So uh, 35 is still young to me, though, so that's good. But um, this this fight, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think the other girl's very good. And uh, it'll be a great test for Misha to see where she's at. Yeah, I mean, 35 is even young to me. I'm, I'm turning 38 next week, so it's wow. – uh, 
You're a baby too. I know. Happy wow. birthday. Thanks. It's on Thanksgiving. So nice. Yeah. Uh, turkey and, and birthday cake. Uh, for me, let's talk about our co-main event coming up because uh, similar story, not nearly as drastic about uh, coming back. But Michael Chiesa is coming back off of a loss. He takes on the undefeated Sean Brady. This is going to be a, a really fun fight. I, I love watching Michael Chiesa and his career uh, progress. And, you know, he, he was a, a phenomenal uh, lightweight and now focusing on on welterweight. But he's coming off that loss to Vicente Luque, um, uh, you know, taking on a, an undefeated uh, Sean Brady, this is going to be an interesting fight for Brady, 14-0. and 0, uh, But, you know, stepping up and taking on someone like Chiesa, there's that, you know, Daniel Cormier saying that there's levels to this game. And I think Michael Chiesa is a significantly different level and a step up in, in competition for uh, Sean Brady. I, I'm curious, Ray, your thoughts on this co-main event. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the undefeated Brady taking on the proven commodity in Michael Chiesa? Well, Brady, now I think Brady's going to feel the pressure of a co-main event against a guy like Chiesa, who's fought everybody in the game and has carved out a great career for himself. So this huge fight for uh, Sean Brady, but, you know, he's catching Chiesa off a loss, which I think is a good thing for him. But Brady's definitely a powerhouse. Uh, but I'm going with DC. They're all levels this game. And I think uh, Chiesa's going to get the job done just with his experience. And he, he's, he's a big 72. He, he's big. But this kid is this kid's tough, man. He's been looking good. Uh, can he get away with that with Chiesa? We'll find out. I mean, that's uh, why mixed martial arts is so great because, you know, this is the, the ultimate sport when it comes to, you know, testing uh, one another one-on-one. Uh, you know, I, I do believe that, uh, I mean, it's not rocket science. Like, Michael Chiesa is a much more proven commodity than the undefeated Sean Brady. But, you know, confidence is key, and, and Brady has no reason to not, uh, you know, believe in himself being 14 and oh, But, you know, looking at, at Kiesa, a guy who, I mean, the only reason he's not a top five welterweight is because, you know, he's coming off of a loss. Vicente Luque is just right there in front of him. And, and I honestly believe, guys, that on any given night, Kiesa could take uh, five out of ten and, and Luque could take five out of ten. So it, it is a very good fight. But, you know, when I look at this fight for Kiesa, I'm curious, does it make a lot of sense? Because the risk-reward ratio for Kiesa is a little bit off. If he beats Sean Brady, he'll be the first one to do so. But Brady's not ranked the way that he is. This isn't a fight that's going to propel Kiesa up the rankings necessarily. Um, is this the right matchup, you think, Pearl, for Michael Kiesa? I think so. I think that, yes, you're right. Sean Brady is taking on a big challenge. Number 14 going against number six. That's a huge jump. And Kiesa has no reason to take this. It doesn't advance him at, on the in numbers. However, he just had this fight against Luke. It was a big deal. He, it was a first-round submission. He got caught. This is a, a, an opportunity for him to get right back in there, to redeem himself, to, to take out an up-and-comer who's never been defeated, who's you know looking amazing, that has been basically perfect at this, all the way up leading up to this point in his career. Um, and so I think that it just it will absolutely help Kiesa kind of solidify who he, he why he's number six and why he's in the top. Um, it, it is interesting um, because Sean Brady, his last two fights, he won via submission. And obviously, you know, uh, Kiesa is coming off of a submission loss. So I do think that, you know, uh, Sean Brady does probably have some confidence going in there, being that he is a Gracie black belt. He's just had these two finishes. Kiesa got caught pretty, you know, quickly in that last fight. 
Um, and so it just, it makes this exciting. I think we're going to get a fun, exciting grappling match. Yeah, 100%. And Kiesa, too, uh, you know, we're talking about Misha Tate and how she's looking at the sport uh, when she was off, you know, from a, an executive role and, and things like that. Kiesa is a guy who I love hearing on the mic when he's calling the LFA mm-hmm. and, and working the desk for the UFC. Like, uh, he's a guy that uh, I honestly think is, you know, obviously still very uh, premier and elite uh, as an active fighter. But, I mean, th- this guy's got a future as an analyst as well. Yeah, I agree. Yes. With you. I love listening to him talking. Look, there's a there's an old saying, right? If you want to get good at something, teach it, because it really helps you grow. And I like sometimes I do it even with my guys teach the class. I just want to see what's running through their head, to right. be honest with you, and see where they go and what they're thinking and how they explain things. But I do believe sitting behind the desk and breaking down fights and looking at them is very similar. You have to really analyze what's going on. And as a fighter, he's thinking what he would do against this situation. He puts himself in different situations, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, I, again, I think, you know, the, the analyst thing helps Kiesa. And, look, he's the guy that wants to fight. It's like Holloway. Holloway fighting Yair Rodriguez. I mean, he didn't have to do that fight, but the guy likes fighting. So right. I love those type of guys, man, that just yeah. fight and they're not putting pressure on themselves as to why they're doing something. Is it the smart move? And, you know, because I, I get guys in the gym now that – What's the easiest way to the UFC? Like, there is no easy way. Like, these Dagestani guys ain't looking for an easy fight. They don't give a shit. They'll fight anybody, you know? So if you're a fighter, just fight. If you're good, you're going to win, you know? If you have a good day, you're going to win. If not, you're going to lose, and hopefully you'll correct the mistakes and come back better next time. Yeah. Yeah. I love what he's doing. You know, even though from a, a management standpoint, it's probably not the smartest thing to do. But you know what? Power to him, and I hope it pays off for him. You know, that's what I liked about, uh, you know, the way that Kiesa sort of bounced back uh, in interviews after losing to Vicente Luque because uh, he was on the Bruce Buffer podcast uh, like a week after dropping that fight to Luque, and, and you couldn't tell that he, he lost anything. You know, he was just, you know, positive, upbeat, talked about how it was a learning experience, and, you know, if you beat yourself up when you come up short in this sport, it's going to be a very difficult road for you because unless your name is Khabib Nurmagomedov, no one's been able to go to the top of the mountain without taking a couple of lumps on the way up and uh you know kiesa you know a guy that was a phenomenal lightweight is still proving to be uh, a phenomenal and elite level uh, welterweight and we'll see what happens coming up on uh, saturday night in oh. our co-main event yeah i want to be a little like yanni the greek too what are the odds of some of kiesa getting submitted twice in a row oh i i mean you see what i'm saying yeah. so i think that's another thing he's not going to let that happen. And this guy's more of a submission guy, even though he looks like he's thrown pretty hard, too. But um, so I think uh, it's going to be a good night for Kiesa. We'll see what happens again. Uh, that is your uh, welterweight co-main event coming up on Saturday night. Another fight headed your way. Uh, Ronnie Yaya taking on Kung Yo Kong. Uh, this one is always uh, interesting for me because Ronnie Yaya, first off, he's not the traditional uh, pronunciation for the Brazilians. He does the hard R instead of the, the soft R. So uh, I always feel for John Anik when he has to explain to people that because, you know, Anik takes his uh, pronunciation seriously. When he says Ronnie, like you, you can almost 
hear in his voice that he knows the the pronunciation police are going to unjustly uh, get on him. But Ronnie Aya has been in the UFC and, and been a you know an elite level fighter for a, a really long time. He's taken on Kyung Yo Kong. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a fun fight. Yaya is one of the best grapplers in just submission fighting, but also the way that he carries that over in, in mixed martial arts. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I lean towards Kyung Yo Kong, but I, I don't know. Ronnie Yaya is a guy I'd never really like to bet against. I mean, I thought Ronnie Yaha hasn't fought in a, a long time, right? It's been a little while, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like I had, I remember Aljo was supposed to fight him, and I don't even know if he, uh, man, I, I, yeah, I don't, I think he's got to be coming off a big layoff. I don't know if somebody could look that up or not, but uh, I don't know enough about the other guy either. But Ronnie is obviously, his stand up is still lacking, but um, he is good on the ground. So. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you, you put it nicely, Ray, but but that is true. That is the sort of story on, on Ronnie Yaya is if if you can, you know, pressure him, you know, that old saying, you, you punch a black belt in the face, it become a brown belt, you know, yeah. purple belt, et cetera. But, uh, man, I would hate to leave a, a limb behind at all, uh, whether you're on the floor, or even in, in a clinch uh, environment with Ronnie Yaya, because if he, if he isolates something more often than not, he's going to take it home with him. Yeah, I just think with that saying about punching a black belt, but standing up, it's punching a white belt in the face. And that's, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what happens uh, when you go down from white belt. Like, is, is there a – I don't think so, right? Imagine he comes in, he's got new and improved stand-up. I look like a complete <laughs> he knocks the He knocks the shit out of the guy. I mean, okay. I, I will – straight up, Ray, if Ronnie Yaya wins via flying knee, yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah. going to buy you a car. Okay? Awesome. I, I'm in. Uh, Fr- Frankie and Steve need to find budget for that, but uh, Longer gets a car if Yaya wins by uh, by by flying strike. Uh, the last fight for Ronnie Yaya was uh, March of this year, but before that, uh, he had a draw one year prior. So uh, going back to March of 2020, he's only fought twice. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. There it goes. Ray Just Longer's curl. got the last word on it. What happened to the one-two punch? We got the one. Where's the two? Bro, <laughs> he gets two when I'm, when I'm struggling a little bit. I mean, so I don't I start know. With this, I start winking at you. That means I, I, I haven't even – I don't know anything about the fight. All right. Per- Pearl, you're, you're, you're leaving the room right now. Um, let, let's get you back center a little bit. What do you mean? Which way? There, there, I perfect. can't see there myself. You there you go. No. There you go. You're good. Uh, Joanne, don't call her Calder Wood. Yes. Uh, taking on Talia Santos. Uh, Big fight. Oh, I did. I did the the Bruce Buffer podcast this week, and he just seemed to not understand that Joanne Calderwood got married to John Wood. He he just thought like, why did she delete the first part of her name? I thought it was was quite funny. That is hilarious. <laughs> That's actually. Now, did he do that while he was talking to somebody on the telephone, or he actually was yeah, focused I mean, on? That is awesome. I didn't even. I just got it now. I just got it, guys. That's awesome. Okay, that is. I'm, I'm happy. That's you got pretty it, cool. Though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five ranked uh, Joanne Wood. 
uh, taking on Talia Santos. Pearl, any thoughts wow, on, on this crazy. fight? Talia Santos oh is a, a phenomenal fighter, but, you know, Joanne Calderwood, uh, a, a proven commodity. We could see sort of uh, maybe the changing of the guard, the the newer uh, fighter, the newer arrival, uh, less proven commodity, and Santos could get a win here. But, man, again, Joanne Calderwood's been uh, a factor uh, in women's mixed martial arts for, for a really long time. Uh, I don't know. Which way do you lean here, Pearl? Man, this is such a big fight for the flyweight division here. Uh, Talia is definitely making her way up the rankings. I mean, she just fought Roxanne Mataferi. She finished that fight uh, via unanimous decision, but it was a bang. I mean, she banged up uh, Roxanne. And Roxanne is no joke. Roxanne is a very – it was her 50th fight. That tells you how experienced Roxanne is. I mean, she – Yeah, she picked her up, threw her all around – Beat her up on the feet. I mean, she looked like a monster in her last bout. She's on a three-fight win streak. Um, she's beaten Molly McCann, Jillian, Gillian Robertson, and Roxanne Mataferi. These are all big names in this division here. Um, so she's definitely on the rise. Uh, she's a very, very talented, well-rounded fighter. She's got great Muay Thai, hits hard, is right in front of you. She doesn't back away. She's not very elusive. She likes to stand and bang, and then she can take you down and and beat you on the ground as well. And JoJo has been in the sport forever. JoJo is one of my favorite fighters. She's, again, been on the scene for such a long time. An incredible striker. Oh, my God. JoJo was actually one of those strikers that I almost felt like was before her time. When she first really came big on the scene. She's from Scotland, but when she first kind of came to America and started fighting for Invicta, her striking is just amazing. She was a kickboxer before this. But over the years, she has been with Syndicate for a long time. She has been in the sport for a long time. Her wrestling has gotten really good. And her grappling and her ability to negate the grappling. And, ta- and also take the fight down when needed. You know, she's, she's done such a good job at, at evolving in MMA. So this is a big fight for Calderwood. And Calderwood is a fight away from the title. You know, she was she was in title contention. And then... She lost to Lauren Murphy. Um, I believe she's a uh, she would be a very interesting fight against Valentina because her striking is so good. This is such a big fight for the flyweight division. This definitely is a, is a story of who will, will be next in line or soon to be next in line to fight against uh, Valentina. And it's also like older MMA, or not only want to call it older MMA, but vet, vet versus an up-and-comer new, right. uh, that's coming to make a statement. And, and Santos is no joke. So I I don't know which way to go in this fight. I think that this fight can go either way. Both girls have great strengths in this fight. So um, JoJo has the edge on experience and, and time in there. And uh, Talia, I believe, has the edge in just, uh, what's the word, like her intensity that she brings in the fight. So um, I just, I wish it's going to be a great fight. I hope both ladies get out uh, safe and healthy. Phenomenal breakdown, Pearl. I will uh, let the the fact that you called Jillian Robertson Gillian uh, go by the wayside. <laughs> oh God, I can't you guys. Pearl, you have you have notes over there. Is that what I see? She definitely has notes. TJ, I swear to God, next time I come on, I'm making notes. <laughs> really? I like yeah, that. Yeah, hundred percent. Can I you am. read your writing though, Ray? That's the question. <laughs> if you write down notes, will you be able to read your writing? Yeah, I got. I have what's. Uh, I have what's known as craft. I don't know if you know what that is. I, I don't. Yeah, can't remember a fucking thing. That's- <laughs> <laughs> I got a big taste of it. All right. Well, fair enough. I'm um, making notes. 
this time. I feel left out. I feel uh, like I've, I've been cheated sorry. today. All right, how about... Well, how, I just, it's just first... Pearl, can I copy you off of you, like, back in high school? Yeah, school? I'll send you my I notes, no problem. I'll I always found, always found a smart girl to cheat off of, man. <laughs> so, so I'll awesome. send you my notes next, next episode, no problem. Beautiful. All right, uh, I'm going to put you to, to work, Ray. We got a, a, a question on Twitch. Uh, this oh. is from Ryan Scott 83 uh, He says, uh, Mr. Longo, I heard Misha say that her cardio is way better than before because of science behind it now, uh, but will that really be the case? Some people bounce back harder, uh, but then some fall faster. Interesting. I think that's a, I think that's a great question. I think we just spoke about this in the gym. Yeah, the science is good. It tells you exactly where you're at. But what it doesn't tell you is after you get punched square in the face where it's at. That That's the issue right. is that it is no measuring what that does to you. You know, because they just there was a fight in the UFC maybe three weeks ago where they said the guy was off the charts with his cardio on every machine or every, uh, you know, his VO2 max, all of that stuff. Uh, but he got lumped up a little bit and it just went south. So I do believe She's probably that's a that's a true statement, but that's just I want to see what happens when the going gets rough. That's that's the big tale. And I think this fight we're gonna we're gonna take a glimpse of that. And that's gonna be the that's the test. Cause uh you know, look, if you know your cardio is good and you you're stressing out in the fight, it doesn't matter. You're stressing out and that's gonna override everything. So there's there's more factors than just you know, testing your aerobic ca uh, capabilities at that point. So I think the question is good. Uh, I think that's accurate. She's probably is better, but in the octagon, I think there's a way more factors that go into determining how good your cardio is. Yeah, it's interesting. We have like both ends of the spectrum uh, being heralded as the right way to train, whether it's like that rocky training where you're out in the snow and, you know, yeah. just hit, hitting tires and, you know, punching, uh, you know, big pieces of meat in the meat locker or, uh, you know, doing things like uh, hooking yourself up to computers and things that they do at like the PI. Pearl, where do you come down on? Like how much technology do you incorporate into your fight preparation? I do. I do um, heart rate training. I think that it's very important just to kind of know in my progression where I'm, how I'm progressing with my cardio, how well I'm uh, uh, resting and recovering, especially for a minute. I want to make sure that my heart rate is at a certain point before the minute is up so that I know I can recover. But uh, Ray was spot on with it. Yes. I mean, all of this science is amazing. And now we can test and we can analyze and we can compare. And it does. It makes you a better athlete than, than you've ever been. Right. But the biggest factor in a fight is emotional intelligence and how well you handle things when things go under pressure, how well you handle when things get tough, uh, when, when this person's yelling and you hear this and then you've got, you know, there's just so, it's, it's how well you, you're emotionally able to control yourself in that fight. That's really what boils down because if you can't control your emotions, you can't really showcase any of those skills. You can't, you're not, if you're not controlling your emotions, you're definitely not focused on breathing properly on, on bringing your heart rate down. You're focused on whatever's in front of you. And I, I keep relating a fight to a car crash and that's what it is. It's a car crash over and over and over and over again. And you know, that moment right before you have to slam on your brakes where your heart drops and you're like, <gasps> and you have the choice to either freeze or act. That is what is going on over and over inside of a fight. 
And so you do, you go through an array of emotions. I think uh, another big factor is the cornering and how connected you are to your corner because your corner has to have the ability to bring you back to that focused and controlled place and, 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 you know, focused on the fight and not focused on, I just got hit or focused on what this one's saying or this and the, you know, like there's just so many factors in there. It's your ability to maintain your emotions. Hey, Ray, yeah. Ray, did, you, did you notice real quick that, that Pearl apparently assumes that we all know what it's like to like be in a car accident? <laughs> it tells me something about your driving, Pearl. Yeah, but I, but I think I, great job with that. Not, I'll tell you, TJ, where the science I think that I've noticed has made its biggest contribution is in the weight cutting. You know, where they test yeah. your levels, they know exactly what you could pull from and where you're going to be. I think that's where it's at its high point. And, you know, I, I worked with a guy, Tony Riccio, who is one of the most brilliant guys I've ever met. And that's where I went down to visit in Florida. And he's at this um, Nova Science Fight Lab at Southeastern University. And that's what they do. It So they test athletes on every one of these metrics. The some of the craziest stuff I've seen. I'm going to definitely go back and hopefully take a couple of fighters to do some testing, but it's really just a tool so you could build on, right? So if you know yeah. a guy's got great cardio by the testing or his VO2 max is at an elite level and still he's something's he's gassing out in a fight, you know it's mental at that point. You know it's not physical. So if you use the science the right way, and I can't articulate it like Tony does, but if you use it the right way, it is a big tool. But to think it's a end-all, a be-all, a be-all, an end-all, definitely not. And you don't want to have, you know, paralysis by analysis, right? You don't want too much data where, you're like, you're perfect to go, buddy, you know, but the guy's never done a round of sparring before. That's, a, that's, a, that's the recipe for a disaster, right? You know, even the guys that talk about – you know, they're not sparring anymore. Yeah, that's because they've sparred 2,000 rounds right. before that. Give me a guy, put him on the mitts, never let him spar and throw him in there. See how, see how that looks. Right. I guarantee it's not going to look pretty. No. And I, don't, and I don't have to be a scientist to make that statement. Right. You know what I mean? So, but give me a guy who's, you know, fought 40 times. And that's different. He just does a different camp. He knows how to fight. You know what I mean? He just has to get his timing down. You probably replicate that a little bit. He gets a little shock treatment. That's it. He's you, ready to go. You say it might be mental, Ray, but I'm, I'm curious, is it a, a combination of, of the two? Because while it could be mental, is, is it something like maybe you're psyching yourself out and that's why you get an adrenaline dump? Could it be could a combination it, of those two? Could be 100%. Very well be that. You know, yeah, we all have that little voice in our head, right, telling us something. And, you know, on any particular night, if the voice is negative, it's going to be a very impactful problem. You're going to have fight night. You know right. what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right on that. Let's. Uh... And then that and what you're talking about with uh, with running, like gassing out in a fight that boils down to, I mean, scientifically, that's just not breathing. That's not focusing on your breath, your breath work. The minute you start holding your breath, you stop bringing oxygen to your muscles and you start to just break down faster. So, yes, that's that's your con con ability to control your emotions, to control these non-voluntary things. And breathing is so important. I don't know if, you know, as many people take it as seriously as they should, but it's the key to bringing oxygen to your brain, to your muscles, to your body, especially in a moment where you have someone right in front of you who's trying to take your head off. 
So, right. um, you know, and that boils down to how well you can deal with pressure. Right. And it, but it is, it, I do think Pearl, when you're holding your breath, it's some form of panicking too. And that, that's mm -hmm. really that just, mm -hmm. that starts a cascade of negativity that you mm -hmm. might not come back from, you know? Right. And that's why you need, you just need that hard sparring. You have to, you, you, yeah, it, it almost is. I'm still a firm believer to sparring. I mean, the, the training has to be harder than the fight. I think that will help you. The problem now is injuries right. and the seat. So you have to learn how to work around it. But that's the trick right now is how to maximize everything without getting too injured, but still being able to perform at your best. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. You can be in the best shape of your life, but if you're literally holding your breath, that's not working with little oxygen. That's working with none. And Wait, no was somebody on aisle three at Macy's just two seconds ago? Yeah. What was that? Yeah. That was my uh, bedtime reminder. Oh, what the heck? Bedtime, bedtime reminder? reminder. <laughs> o'clock at night. The past your bedtime, Pearl? Uh, I, apparently, I have it set for nine forty-five, so it lets me know to wind down soon. All right. Well, okay. Let's get to one more thing before uh, we get out of here. We got a, a pretty fun bantamweight fight coming up. David Grant taking on uh, Adrian Yanez. Uh, Yanez has, has wow. had a phenomenal, um, you know, story, and and we've uh, we've we've been watching it unfold in the uh, the UFC. David Grant, uh, you know, as guy has been around for a, a really long time, but we talk about uh, emotions and and fighting with emotions. Uh, that is definitely the case for. Adrian Yanez, who's trying to honor his late coach, Saul Solis, uh, in this fight. Saul uh, passed away um, this year due to COVID. Uh, I, I can't imagine what Yanez is going to be going into that octagon like Ray, feeling uh, that, that extra bit of pressure to try to perform for his late coach because, I mean, fighting is an emotional thing to begin with, but when you're, you know, trying to put on a, an extra show and dedicating a fight to, uh, you know, a, a late loved one and, and a coach, that, I mean, man, that, that that's it's adding a lot of pressure on himself, honestly. Yeah, well, look, I had the pleasure of meeting Adrian. He came to the gym probably a month or two ago to work with Aljo. He is the salt of the earth. He's a great kid. I see, I, he, I predict he will knock this guy out. And I don't care if he's, you know, it, he's using that, you know, the Sol Solis as motivation. But he's a kid that's pretty well grounded. He's squared away. I think he's coming right down the middle like he always does. And this guy's a little wide and he's going to catch him. But this kid's this kid is a sniper. He's an assassin. And he's he's a and he's a sweetheart at the same time, which to me is always the best combination where you're not a complete psycho outside of the octagon. You know what I mean? He's a very respectful young man who knows how to fight. And I'm, I'm always going to be pulling for this kid. I liked him the first time I saw him fight. You know, I'm glad I got to meet him. And he didn't disappoint. He's a, he's just a beautiful kid, and I wish him the best. Any thoughts, Pearl? I think this is an amazing fight, and I think this is also a big step up for Yanez. Um, Dave, who did who did uh, oh, wait, wait who did Grant just fight? He just had a big fight recently, uh, let me a pull couple months ago. I'll pull it up for you. Um, that was a big fight. It was a back and forth uh, fight. So I think this is a big fight for Adrian. I agree. Like he is. Such an awesome man. He's so respectful, you know, yeah. has good morals and values. He comes in the sport. He's very respectful. And he is one of those, like, amazing. He's from the Dana White Contender Series, I believe, and just super talented. Very talented striker. His ability to put the hands to feet and, and his creativity and his striking is, is amazing. 
What? Who was Davy Grant's last fight? Uh, Davy Grant went uh, 15 minutes and dropped a unanimous decision to uh, Marlon Cheeto Vera. Okay, so that was, yeah, that was a big fight, too. That was a really big fight. I remember we talked about that one. And um, he looks good. Davy Grant is a, is a, he's a power puncher. He's a powerhouse. You know, he, he throws big strikes. He's also a great striker, but he, he, his thing is power. And so, um, as you can see right there, and, and uh, what Ray just said is important for, for uh, Yanez to go right down the middle, to be a sniper, to, to be very technical and very precise in his striking um, and he is, he does have a, he gets a little bit more creative, I would say, uh, than Davy Grant. Davy Grant's a big powerhouse. So this should be one of those fun and exciting, uh, striking fights. Yeah. And I saw they had a clip of Yanez against, uh, I can't think of his name, but the guy went to switch stances and throw, throw something. He just, he caught him with a straight, right, right on the switch. I mean, and this guy that Grant switches too, and he switches a little wide. I, I just don't think he's going to get away with that with Yanez and Yanez, has a good chin too, so he could throw. He's accurate. He's got a good chin, uh, and I think when I was speaking to him, he's kind of taken over Soul's gym. So he had to teach now. So I'm saying he's gotten better just by being a teacher and breaking things down himself and relating to other people and helping other people. Uh, I think if anybody could carry the weight of what's going on, I, I, I like this kid to be able to do that. Yeah, I've only had a chance to interview Adrian one time. I think it was with you, Pearl. And and like you mm -hmm. said, Ray, I'll echo your sentiments. Like, he's just a really nice, well, you know, grounded individual, uh, a young man who's putting in work. And uh, as, as as good of a personality he is, he's as good of a fighter. Right, and he's coming to mm -hmm. fight. Man. He's not, you yeah. know, that's why I say talented. he's a soft-spoken guy. But when he's in there, he's coming to fight. I mean, look at even his last fight with uh, Randy Coster. He had oh, a really good round. Costa was on, but he he just broke that guy down. You know what I mean? With his, with I believe, with his accuracy, and he's got pop to his punch. He he's a he's a problem. You know, I, I told Al when Al when he was supposed to fight Jan. I that's the guy I told him to bring in. I said, look, bring this guy in. I, I love his hands, and Jan. Yeah, obviously, Peter Jan's a great boxer, but um, I said that's the guy I liked. So it came in. They look like they got along great. Obviously, the fight didn't happen, but um. It was great meeting him. Yeah, that's one thing, too, that I like you kind of, like, shouting out to in Yanez is, like, he's got the mind of a coach as well, not just uh, it, an athlete. Be a big help. Yeah. No be 100%. a real help. All right, guys. Well, I, I think I've uh, taken enough of your time. We made it back. We did it. Good job. Wow. All right. Girl, awesome. it was a, it was a pleasure seeing you again. Yeah, so excited. I hope I see you back, again. Get back in New York. We're getting together for sure. Yes, absolutely. Doesn't have to be training either. Whatever you want to do. Okay, I'm going to hold you to it. I'm coming. All right. TJ? Bye. You're yes. always welcome too, buddy. Okay. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> Talk to you guys Bye. soon. Bye. Take it easy, guys. There they are. Ray Longo, Pearl Gonzalez here. Uh, I'm TJ DeSantis. It's extra rounds uh, on UFC Fight Pass. I'm going to go over here and press this button because I'm afraid that if I don't disconnect with, with Ray and Pearl, they're going to say something bad on the air. We're not done. Things to be had, things to do. Um, if you missed anything already, you missed something big probably. Uh, I had a chance to sit down with Misha Tate. She's one half of your main event coming up on Saturday night when she takes on Ketlin Vieira. There is a brand new documentary that is scheduled to hit UFC Fight Pass tomorrow called Misha Tate 2.0. But uh, producers uh, Steve and Frankie have pulled some strings 
Actually, I, I probably can't give Frankie credit. This is all Steve's doing. We're going to give this one to Steve. Steve. Steve did this for you. If you're a fan of extra rounds, you're going to get the lead in right now. Go over to UFC Fight Pass when we are uh, all done with this show, and you can watch Misha Tate 2.0 live right now, a day before it's supposed to even come out. Um, you want a preview of it? We'll do that. We'll take a, a quick break, preview this Misha Tate 2.0 documentary. And as I said, not done yet. Going to be joined by former New York Yankee Jabba Chamberlain to talk about uh, his love for uh, the UFC and mixed martial arts and uh, who his friends are in the game. He hangs out with some cool people. And uh, we'll talk to Jabba about that next. It's Extra Rounds right here on UFC Fight Pass. Introducing Misha Tate. When that fire went out, Misha's in big trouble. Oh, she heard her. Misha, let's go. Oh, that's it. I was like, yeah, I'm finally broken. I'm not showing up anymore in here. I don't care enough. But four years later, so much has changed. So you're fighting again? Yeah. What makes you want to fight again? My family, time, and dreams. She is very sound to get back to competition, but she hasn't been in that fight scenario in almost five years. I feel like I'm more dangerous than ever. That's it, just like that. I'm upgrading. My whole mantra is Misha Tate 2.0. It's amazing what we do for money because I never thought I would interview Jabba Chamberlain because I'm a Twins fan and Jabba basically destroyed the Twins in the playoffs as the Yankees have, I mean, basically, let's not talk about the Twins uh, in the playoffs. Jabba Chamberlain, kind enough uh, to join me here on Extra Rounds. How are you? Everything's good. Yeah, you bring up the twins, and every time we saw them in the first round, we were we were pretty excited about that, TJ. So sorry about the few years that we had to get you every every division championship. It's all right, man. You know, like I, I think you know you can probably speak to this uh, better than anybody. But like when you're on top, or when you're in you know in pinstripes, for example, in baseball, you're just hated anywhere you go, unless you're playing in, in Yankee Stadium. I, I assume you felt some some vitriol from the fans when you were hitting the road. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, it's just it's one of those one of those teams where you either love them or hate them. And, you know, obviously growing up in Nebraska, you're a Braves fan because of TBS. So, right. you know, it, it's obviously one of those things where sometimes your fan base is pushed on you just because of the relativity of of how much you can watch a team. So, you know, and Yankees just being what they are in, in 27 championships, that's just it's something to that people always look to. And it's like, hey, you can hate them or love them, whatever, but they've proven they can win. And, and to be a part of that, you know, storied franchise is, uh, is, is really pretty, pretty cool. You mentioned Nebraska. I know you went to uh, Kearney uh, at the University of Nebraska. Are, are you from Nebraska originally, Java? Yeah, born and raised. Yeah. Wow. So why didn't you get the hell out of Nebraska when it came to college? I mean, did you, did you love the Midwest? I'm, I'm from Minneapolis, obviously. So, like, I, I have a special place in my heart for the Midwest. But, uh, you know, I got out of there. I, I'm surprised you didn't dip out as soon as you could. No, it was, uh, I wasn't very good in high school. You know, I, I did enough to get recognized and obviously got the fortune opportunity to go play at Kearney for, for a semester and then transfer to Nebraska. And, you know, it turned out to, to work out well, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's so funny how this world works and, and how it, we can relate this to, to what your show is and, and how you had a guy, you leave William Penn to end up going to win a, a championship at Kearney 
and, and being a wrestler and how those just like translate with Usman and everything. So it's a small world as big as we think it is. It, it, right. It's small than we think. No, I'm, I remember interviewing uh, guys like Rico Rodriguez, who's a former UFC heavyweight champion. He spent significant time in Nebraska because it was just a good place to go and wrestle. You mentioned Kamaru Usman and, and, and Kearney, Nebraska. Um, Kearney actually hosted like an old, they're known as the LFA now, uh, which is one of the bigger uh, live event partners on UFC Fight Pass. But then they were uh, the RFA and they had like a huge mega show in Kearney, Nebraska. And I remember going around uh, all over the place, uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska. Like there was some kill MMA cards back in the day. When did you become aware of the sport? Were, were you ever able to see anything on a local level? Um, not necessarily a local level. I've had a couple of buddies go from, you know, obviously that wrestled in high school and, and gone some other places and done it. But I think it was just kind of just the culture. And then one that really like actually got me started was when Houston Alexander fought in mm. Newark. And, you know, they were fighting in Newark and I was like, holy, you know, it, and I kind of knew of him, but didn't, I mean, he's from Omaha. Right. And Lincoln and then finally seeing him and obviously like seeing his win against, you know, Keith Jardine and you're like, holy crap, there's a, there's, there's a dude from Omaha and Houston's such a good cat. And, you know, seeing him do these things and he always rocked his Nebraska hat every time he came out and just watching him fighting. And I think that's just the pride that we have, no matter what you're doing, if you come from here, and that's what you do. I, I, you support each other no matter what, because that and you know, that Nebraska love, it, it definitely translates no matter where you at. Like if I hear go big red in any any stadium I played at, I always look because obviously they know what that means to us. So, right. It's, I mean, you, you look at all the small venues and now I mean, that's it's nice to see how many kids are getting an opportunity to try to better themselves in the sport and, and what and how the how the UFC has transcended of, of getting opportunities for kids. I mean, obviously. You know, Carney's done a lot of cool stuff, but that, I've seen so many in Omaha and Council Bluffs where, you know, it, it's entertainment and it's obviously a way of life for some of these people. And it's just been cool to see the growth that it's made, obviously, all around the world, but especially just being from Nebraska to see the people that have came. I mean, you got the, you know, Jake Ellenbergers and people like that where, you know, there's always a, a relationship that it, that has transcended through their their UFC career. I mean, you're showing that uh, Nebraska pride, bringing up Houston Alexander and Jake Ellenberger. Like you, you're, you're speaking to my heart here, Java, because th I mean, that's my prime golden era of MMA. I remember he, Houston fighting all over the country and no matter where he was, if he was able to get on that mic, he'd scream Nebraska in the house. And, you know, again, I'm not from Nebraska, but, you know, still like I roll roamed all over the Midwest and, and you know, Midwesterners, they, they kind of stick together a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we all as a whole, like it, it is something where you know, just the relative of how everybody says it's boring or whatever, you're just here, but there've been so many great people and there's so many just cool aspects of it. And I, I just love, you know, like you brought up earlier, it's like, why didn't you get out? I, it, the people here, my son is 15 years old and, you know, just the way to, to raise children, not saying that there other places aren't great. Don't get me sure. But when you know it and you understand it, it's, it, it's just the little things like the please and the thank you and, and just holding the doors and, you know, you just think about all these little things when you live all over, you know, the country and to see how important they are. And, and I know they're important to everybody, but some places just take it to a different level. And and I think that's probably why. And I, I just love you think about, you know, all the guys that that have had a part in, in some aspect of Nebraska. They, they seem to come back in some way, shape or form to just, you know, be a part of the community and, and to understand, like, how great it is to be, you know, a parent here and, and to raise kids and and to be a part of such like a really, really tight community.
Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm posturing a little bit. I live in LA now and I say I got out and, you know, I got out. Like, uh, one thing I will say, Jabba, is like living out here in the West Coast, man, I miss autumn. Like, there is no fall out here in Southern California. And, like, I feel like seasons exfoliate, you know, your, your personality a little bit, your soul, if you will. And, like, it just never comes around. Like, I don't get that crisp autumn, like, you know, that just that there's something about fall. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'll never forget when I first moved down to Florida when I first signed and spent a little bit of the offseason down there. And coming back here for fall, you got Husker football, you've right. got leaves changing, you got everything. And I was down there and it was, it was towards the time right about now where you're like, okay, do we put the Christmas tree up? Right, exactly. Like, it's 83 degrees outside. Mind <laughs> you, it, it, it is very nice today in Nebraska. It's 71 right now. So oh, I'll wow. take that. That's perfect. Yeah. So, but that's what you guys are, are spoiled with. That's why you say you don't get no autumn. You don't get the, the brisk nights where you can put a jacket on. Like for you guys, if it gets to like 65, you guys are in parkas and, and under blankets and stuff. It's so. ridiculous. I've, I've lost, <laughs> I've lost my Midwestern like uh, tolerance of cold when it, when it's above, uh, you know, it used to be like I had a convertible when it was above 50 degrees, top was down. Okay. 50 degrees and up top is down. Now, if it's 50 degrees, like I'm frigid, I'm, I'm dying. Um, people did not tune in today, though, to hear us talk about Midwestern weather and uh, things like that. I, you know, we, we talked about uh, Houston Alexander and Jake Ellenberger, but there's some other uh, fighters that I hear you're pretty close to as well. Like, do you keep in touch with Frankie Edgar and Chuck Liddell? Yeah, I mean, just really uh, good friends. I, Chuck, just it kind of happened where I, I got in with a business partner and he was actually owning a bar down here. And it just kind of created a relationship where we're kind of the same mentality as far as that goes is, and yeah, still to this day, we FaceTime. And I remember he threw out a first pitch when we were playing in Baltimore and how was it? He throws an overhand right pretty well. I mean, did it, did it translate? It wasn't bad. I will, I will give him credit. Like, cause there's some you see as, as elite athletes, where yeah. you're just like, wow, that's, I mean, We've seen Connor throw his first pitch. And, and I don't think it was necessarily Connor's mechanics. I think his his pants were too tight. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, most things he was struggling a little bit. He didn't get his leg up high enough and and, and do that. But it wasn't as bad as some that I've seen. But you know 50 cent, yeah, you know. Yeah, 50, 50 was terrible too. I mean, and it just so happened to be there both the Mets. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's one of those things. But no, so yeah, Chuck and I have just become really good friends over over the course of probably, shoot, probably over 10 years now. And, you know, just to see, obviously, what he's done and created for the sport. And, you know, Frankie was was another guy, obviously, Jersey guy, big sports fan, and actually met him through one of uh, a, a mutual friend and come around and just, just such a genuine downer. Seriously. Dude. You know, obviously, two sixty eight wasn't the best to him, but obviously, he was going against an opponent that was was unbelievable. But you know, I just love like as he goes about his business, and and, and for sure going to be a Hall of Famer. But you know, he he wants to go out on his own terms, and I think he got I think he's got one or two fights left. Oh, one hundred percent. And and of that card, I mean, the last two cards, the apex on Saturday was unbelievable. I mean, three, he had five or six finishes. I mean. I want to understand if Joel Alvarez can stay at 55 and not be forced to move to 70, that dude's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 you, you're really winning me over here. I mean, a former Yankee, I, I didn't like you already. And then we talk about, you know, seasonal Midwestern things. And now you're telling me you're watching the prelims from the apex. Like Jabba, you're, you're really winning me over here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's been, it's been something that like, 
as an athlete, it's, it's something that like, and I, I've trained with Houston before and like seen like, and it, it wasn't a lot because I'm like, I don't get how you guys do this. And right. barely. I know it's crazy. Like, and there was one time where I called Chuck and I was like, if you have to lose like six pounds in a day, what do you do? Right, and he's, right. he's breaking it down for me and everything. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. And so I think it's just that, like that elite status. When you get to that point, you want to know what makes people work. Right. You want to know like how it works. And a lot of it for me is, is watching is, is understanding. And it's like, mind you, I don't know the intricacies of, of certain things of, you know, obviously moves here and there, obviously being around it and, and being with guys, but it's watching. It's like when I watch a hitter at the plate, it, it's the same thing of guys in the, in the octagon understanding, okay, when he steps back with his left, that means he's leading with his right. Like, and just those things that you can, you can correlate. And I've always, right. I've always just loved that aspect. And, but it's just so fun to see it. And I mean, when you get cards like that, obviously the MSG was, was hyped up and, and one of the best cards and just, that was awesome to see. But then I think some of these other ones that, you know, you get to see in early and it's like, I remember just watching Max and Yair go at it and then seeing Max go to the ambulance and just the mutual respect. And I think that is one of the biggest things that I love about the sport is right. I'm going to give you everything I got and try to knock your head off, but I know how hard it is. And I think us as athletes understand that, like, I'm not going to like you between the lines for four hours. Right. I have the mutual respect of I know how hard it is to be at this level, to compete at this level and to do that. And it's just it's I think the UFC does a fantastic job of showing that because yeah. you always see the back and forth of promoting a fight, whether it's whether it's with malice or whether it's just promoting. Like, I understand that's part of the business. But at the end of the day, we know how hard this is. And when you stand across from one another you have a mutual respect whether you get beat or not. And it's right. just like a perfect example is Vera coming out and he's like, I didn't want to post a picture of the front kick to Frankie's face because like he, he just that feeling that he's like, yeah, I got him. Right. I want to disrespect a legend. Right. And, and what's funny is he flipped him off in the middle of the fight, but like you're talking about, like between the lines, I'm not going to like you during that time. You know, that's emotion getting him, but the, obviously the, the respect, I watched that fight in a bar in New York city um, at legends right across the street from the empire state building, a couple blocks from MSG and the mood in there, Jabba, when Frankie lost, because obviously East coast guy, like you, you felt like some people just wanted to go home at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause Frankie's that likable of a guy. Yeah. And I, I think for, for him as a whole, is like when you when you talk about community and talk about that, that's a dude that embraces who he is. Right. And, you know, obviously seeing what he's done in his career from 55 to 45 to 35, like you want to talk about a man of his craft to understand what it is like. I'll do whatever it takes. And we've seen it. Obviously, he's been a champion. He's he's been that dude. And, you know, just from him being the guy that runs in from the locker room, just those dynamics that people love about him. Yeah. And he, he never makes an excuse. No. He comes in, he does what he needs to do. And if, if like he, he made the move to 35, thought that was the best. He still wants to fight. Yeah. He's 40 years old and, you know, listening to him and, and the, the pre-fight stuff a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, somebody was asking about his fights and he was, he brought up a, a Max Kellerman, quote of like, Hey, do you think you're done? He was only 30 at the time. Right. Yeah. And I, so you're going back and forth and you're like, 30 shit. Now I'm 40. Right. And, and he's, and he's still got, obviously he hasn't done the last five fights of, of, of not been in Frankie's way. Like 
obviously a couple have gone his way, but most in the last, but that doesn't dictate who he is. He's done so much for the sport and he, and he's created an atmosphere to where he has done it the right way. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things why he is so loved. And, and you're so right. Like when, when you watch him fight me, he loses. you just like, it's kind of like, Oh man, like, cause you want to see people like that. That's first of all, you know, personally, you want to see them succeed. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's a combat sport where, you know, stuff happens and, and we see it all the time. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about Frankie, too, is you talk about him moving from 55 to 45 to 35. 35 really wasn't an option for him when he was the 155-pound champion. He may have well very been the, the best 135-pounder of all time if he chose to fight there at the time. But it wasn't an option. This guy's a, a shoe-in Hall of Famer and an all-around good guy. And, uh, you know, I, I loved uh, – I mean, I love – I know you're friends with Frankie, but, like, the way that you look at things, Jabba, like, it, it, you're right about the, the athlete mindset being you know a little bit more uh, perceptive to the the mechanics of of what's going on even if it's not your sport of of occupation it's just you see things and, and like i feel like the ultimate fighter was a great vehicle for the average casual fan to sort of get to know these human beings and understand who they are and you know we've got away from that the tough took a a little bit of a break it's back but there is something to be said about really digging deeper we have so many fights but i, I implore fans try to have the the mindset of java chamberlain and look at what these athletes are doing because there's a whole nother story below the fight itself and when you get to that level i think that's how you truly fall in love with the sport i think you're 100 right i think I think what Tuff did was, I, I think it gave a realization because, I mean, whether your background is jujitsu, whether it's wrestling, whether what it is, this gave a national perspective of like, you could be, let's look at the Brendan Shops, let's look at the football players that right. come into the game. You look, you know, obviously the Kimbo slices and, and people of that nature where you come from such different backgrounds where we've seen how it's turned out. And I mean, shoot, you look at Forrest Griffin, like the dude was a teacher, like, and he's seen what he's done. And, and like, he just, and now it's like that, that aspect of what he's been through and all the, and all the things, I think those aspects give the casual fan a different, like, cause you get, you get a little bit different feel of these guys, just not as professionals. Like they were other people coming into something else. Right. And I, I think that's what they do a great job because there's really no other sport, if you think about it, that you get to see like, yeah, you can watch minor league baseball, but that's not seeing other stuff of where different guys have came from and yeah. getting a background and creating a storyline off of it and then seeing the success that it has put people in the UFC for a long time. Yeah, 100%. And, and I love baseball. Baseball is my probably second favorite sport next to uh, mixed martial arts. Maybe third. I like college football a lot. Iowa's taking on Nebraska a little bit later on this month. And, and that's I'm a big Iowa Hawkeye <laughs> fan. I'm not going to bring that up, though, because we'll, we'll go back to the whole beginning of this thing where you were a Yankee and I don't like you. But I will say um, when you watch minor league baseball, you have to really be uh, into it because there's so many at-bats, so many games where in fighting, I mean, fights stand your record forever. And if you were able to follow an athlete, which you can do now on UFC Fight Pass with all of our live event partners, you know, make their way to the Octagon and really follow that journey. Like, man, you'll feel like you know these people, even though you've never met them. You know what I mean? And, and that's why I love mixed martial arts more than anything else on the planet. And I, and I think the, the access that we have now to athletes, to social media. And yeah. Social media is fantastic because you're getting 
indirect direct access to somebody, whether it's indirect because they don't necessarily have to see it, but it's direct because if they do see it and respond. And I think it's such a great avenue, not only for us as athletes to get close to our fans, because at the end of the day, let's be honest, like those are the people showing up. Those are the people buying the video games. Those are the people, you know, wanting the merchandise. Those, those are what we, what makes us go. And right. that is something that is so cool to see. And I've created so many relationships through social media of families that I've seen their kids grow up and now they're, you know, graduating. I just talked to a lady from, from Texas. He is now in DC working there. And this is like, holy crap. I remember playing catch with him when I was in Texas, when I was 22 years old. And, wow. you know, it's just, that's the crazy thing about it. And it's, I just think it's, in such a good place to where we can give the casual fan better access. And like you said, you feel like, you know, them, right. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. 100%. But for us as athletes, it's like, sometimes there there's days where it's a grind. Like you feel like you're by yourself and, and it's just, you granted, you have your teammates, you have your family, but you know, when you go down and shut it down and put your head to the pillow, there's sometimes where it's just a grind and I played 162 games in 180 days during the regular season. You know, these guys are training all year round. I mean, there's really no off season. No. Other than their suspensions, which they probably don't always follow. Wink, wink. Um, but it's, it's never a time like you can't rest because us as athletes always think about like, I guarantee that guy's trying to get me. He's probably working right now. Right. So you have to understand that. And, and I just I think that's that's the crazy thing about us as athletes, too. And, and going back to, to what it is. But there's so many different aspects that come into a sport that make the sport what it is. Yeah. I mean, I can talk all day about this stuff with you, Java, but uh, we're limited to this window. So I got to wrap things up. And man, I, I really appreciate your perspective on things and, uh, you know, some of the stories that you shared. Like, it, it's cool to know that someone like yourself sees MMA uh, in that narrative. And if that's an, a way that everyone else can perceive it, I, I think they'll just fall in love with the sport even more. Yeah. I think it, it's just taking the time and, and understand to, to, not only respective, it's any, it's any realm. I'm not just right. talking about sports. I'm talking about your guys' job. You guys, the background of understanding of, okay, let's meet with the producer. Let's make sure we get on time. Okay, is he showing up? Like, it's it's in every realm. I mean, I'm just not in sports. I love, peeing, right. love watching and seeing people do what they do because everybody can see the finished product. Right. What's so cool about it is seeing the other side to get to that finished product because – I've always been taught like that day you pitch should be the easiest day of your, of your job. Right. Everything Chuck Liddell said fighting was the reward. Yes. 100%. That yeah. should be the easiest day of what you do. Wow. All right. Jabba, you, you've, uh, you've made me change my uh, opinion of you, sir. You're not so bad for being a Yankee. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't have a choice. They just paid the bills for a while. That's true. <laughs> and uh, they pay pretty well is, is what I yeah, hear. Too. Bad. And, and I got a world series out of it. So I can't complain. Pretty great. Jabba, appreciate the time, sir. We'll have to have you back sometime. Yes, please do. Thank you, guys. Be like Jabba Chamberlain and check out uh, UFC Fight Pass for all these great events. See, it's been such a busy show that I can't even get the damn scene to change. There we go. Uh, 
Live events headed your way on UFC Fight Pass. Coming up Friday, CFFC 103. That starts at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Saturday, Eternal 63, 2 a.m. Pacific time. What else you got to do? Sleep? No. FCR 10 is headed your way at 8.30 in the morning on Saturday. And then uh, on Sunday, Fury FC 54 kicking off at a pretty reasonable time. 2.30 in the afternoon here on the West Coast. Of course, if you have UFC Fight Pass, you can watch anything you want, any time of day. The entire archive of pretty much all mixed martial arts that matters is at your fingertips. Step into our world, UFCFightPass.com. Also over there, you can check out uh, all 101 episodes of this show. It's called Extra Rounds. I was joined by Pearl Gonzalez and Ray Longo breaking down this uh, upcoming fight card Saturday night. Uh, Misha Tate back for her second go-around on this return tour. She takes on Ketlin Vieira. Was uh, able to chat with Misha Tate uh, ahead of this fight earlier on this program. If you missed it, check out the archive. Also, check out the brand-new documentary, full-length documentary, available for you right now on UFC Fight Pass. It's called Misha Tate 2.0, originally scheduled to drop tomorrow. But uh, producer Steve pulling some strings and getting you early access to it. So uh, go over there. It's truly uh, a real great documentary. There are, you know, not enough sort of like really in-depth pieces on on mixed martial arts done at a very high level. Uh, I feel like uh, combat sports as a whole always sort of take a backseat to the more mainstream sports. But the level of production and uh, just this quality of honestly filmmaking into this Misha Tate documentary is top shelf stuff. And uh, I think you might think, you know, know Misha and you might know her story but when you see it through a different lens like you can in this documentary it's it's really insightful stuff so uh, check it out Misha Tate 2.0 available for you right now on UFC Fight Pass if you want to listen to this uh, podcast the archive all of that available for you in audio audio form uh, where is it at um, iHeartRadio Spotify Spreaker Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all that fun business. Just do a search for UFC Fight Pass and Extra Rounds. I believe we're going to be back coming up Saturday night, immediately following the UFC, uh, Vieira versus Tate. So we'll break that down, maybe take your calls. In the meantime, 917-UFC-TALK is the number. You can call and and leave us a voicemail, or you can uh, send a text message. Uh, All of your questions uh, are, are, are received. They're not always answered. And they're not always responded to, but they're always received. And uh, if you leave a good one, maybe we'll uh, address it live uh, on the radio with uh, with Ray and Pearl. I said radio, it's like television. I don't even know what this is anymore. But I appreciate you watching it. So, uh, for Ray and Pearl, I'm TJ saying thanks for uh, watching. And uh, we'll see you Saturday night immediately following the fights for more extra rounds on UFC Fight Pass. This concludes our live broadcast of Extra Rounds. Are we still on the air? Watch the archive anytime on UFC Fight Pass or facebook.com slash UFC Fight Pass. You can also listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.